in this wrap-up message that I have this evening, I want to win a hearing for a yes to one particular thing. Okay, you've been singing just now. Today, I choose to say yes. There's one particular thing I want, hopefully, all of you to say yes to. Some of you may already have said to it. You see, you've listened to the big story, the master story, the only story that's being written. How do we connect our individual stories that are so varied to this one story that doesn't change? That's what I want to talk to you about. There's one practice that I started in 1984 that I have not stopped, and I've tried to persuade as many people as I can to do it, and that is to simply read the master's story over and over and over again. Just get into the habit of reading through the whole Bible. That's what I want you to say yes to. Now, the purpose of this is not to understand it all right away. It's not to study it, what I meant. You know, some of us are called to study. People like me are called to study, and we take out commentaries and le learn the Hebrew and the Greek and whatnot. Everybody isn't called to do that. Uh, some of you study in Beth Moore studies with women. Others have men's Bible studies. You can do all of that, but that's not what I'm talking about. Those are important. I'm just talking about the habit of daily reading a portion of God's word so that you read through the whole Bible every year. By the way, 15 minutes a day will take you through the whole Bible every year. And even if you want to do a little bit less and go through it and once every 18 months, I don't care. But just go through it on a regular basis because it's not primarily for the purpose of study. This habit is something to allow you to immerse yourself in God's language. You know how children learn language and how we all learned our mother tongues, which are whatever they are. We learn them very differently than people going to school to learn a language. When adults try to learn another language, it's a headache, you know. It's very, very hard. But I grew up learning three, speaking three languages by the time I was five. I didn't study any of them. I just happened to be speaking all three of them at home. And children learn by immersion. Those babies that are born into this world, by the time they start recognizing their name, when you call their name and they turn their head, that doesn't happen on day one. You can scream your daughter or your son's name as loudly as you want. They don't turn their head at that. They might be scared. You shout. But about five, six months somewhere in that process, most ch children, oh, you say their name and they turn their head. How many words do you think they've heard by that time? Probably hundreds of thousands of words. Imagine what would happen if parents said, I won't speak to this child until she learns how to speak. They'll never learn how to speak. They learn the language by immersion. This book, this Bible that we have in our hand, is more than just information. It's actually the voice of God. We sang tonight, today I choose to say yes to hear your voice. And this is one of the primary ways in which he speaks. And as we immerse ourselves in the parts you understand and in the parts you don't understand, and in the beginning, there'll be many parts you don't understand. It's okay, just read it and move on. Because you're not going to preach a sermon on it. You're not going to teach a class on it. You are immersing yourself in the language and the words of God. You are getting a feel for its texture, for its shape, for its size. It's slowly working itself into you. Just like language is working itself into the heart of a child, that child doesn't even know that syntax and grammar are all forming in that head until that amazing day when that first complete sentence comes out of that child's mouth. Eh? First they hear and recognize a voice, and then they speak in the same language. To help you do this, I think it's very helpful to follow a reading plan. I remember a young man in our church many, many years ago. He had just become a, a believer at that time. And I had suggested something like this to him. And he just decided he was going to start the very next day on a Monday. He told me that Sunday night. Next Sunday, I asked him, hey, Dave, how's it going? He said, terrible. I said, what happened? He said, well, I got down on a Monday morning, opened my Bible, I read one of the Psalms. I didn't like it. I moved over to James, read a few verses of James. Didn't like that, so I just gave up. He didn't have any plan. 
And so it's very helpful to have a Bible reading plan. And there are so many, you just Google them on the internet. Just read Google Bible reading plans. There are so many of them. Uh, choose whichever one you like. Some will take you through the Bible in one year. Some will take you through the Bible in two years. But here's one suggestion. Reading sequentially through the Bible from beginning to end is not a good idea. You know why? Because you'll get bogged down in Exodus and Leviticus. And nobody survives the graveyard called Leviticus. You know. <laughs> and you'll give up for another whole year. I happen to follow the one-year Bible, which has me reading... Yes, I have to read some days in Leviticus. And by the way, it is an amazing book, actually. It's about teaching about the holiness of God. But I have, I, I'm reading a bit in Genesis. Uh, to these days, I'm reading in Nehemiah. I'm reading in the Psalms. I'm reading in the Proverbs. And I'm reading in uh, 2 Corinthians. So you're reading in different places. And I kind of have to survive one chapter of Leviticus. But I'm also reading Psalms. I'm also reading Romans at that time. So, but whatever works for you, find something and just work your way through it. And slowly, you will begin, you're actually learning a language you don't know it. You're actually learning a language by immersion. You will learn to recognize the voice of God. Just like babies are immersed in that language for months, and then suddenly you mention their name, and they begin to turn their head. They suddenly recognize personal speech that has been directed to them for the first time. Same thing will happen to you. This Bible will start speaking to you. You, you know, we read in Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God is alive and active. And we never experience it that way. We experience it only as information. And listen, so long as you see the Bible as only information, it's always going to be boring. I mean, how many times can you read about Daniel and the lion's den and Joseph and his coat of many colors and, and find it exciting? You already know everything that's going to happen, especially if you grew up in the flannel graph generation in your churches, you know. But once it becomes the voice of the living God speaking living words to you, then you can go back to the same stories over and over again. And they are saying different things at different times. And as you keep reading, as you get into this habit of reading, at first it will look mechanical and that's okay. As I said, you're learning a new language. And then what will happen is you'll find yourself stopping all of a sudden and say, wow, I never saw that before. That's, that's the day when you're turning your head. Like the baby turns its head after six months, you've had enough immersion that you're saying, oh, God just spoke to me about that. Now, when God speaks to you, what do you think you need to do? Number one, and then after you listen, like if I say something to you, I say, hey, what's your name? Yeah, you have to listen to it, but then you're expected to do something, right? Respond. See, one of the biggest mistakes we've made about prayer is that we've divorced it from the Bible. Read your Bible and pray and the twain shall never meet. That's never the way it was intended. Scripture and prayer are intended to work dynamically. God speaks to you in the word, so you speak back because he wants you to talk to him. Remember, this is about a relationship with the living God. This is not information about some God who's out there. This is a daily living relationship. We all talk about Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord, but there's nothing personal about a relationship with him. We just have a lot of information about Jesus. But when we have that daily communion with him, he talks. It's his job to talk first, by the way. He takes initiative. And that's the most important lesson that I learned about prayer in my life. Prayer is not initiating speech. Prayer is answering speech. When we divorce the Bible reading from prayer, prayer becomes initiating speech. In other words, so you read, and then you forget all about what he said, and then you pray. Now, we don't have any other relationship like that. Imagine, for example, if you said to me, Pastor Sundar, how did you like Fair Havens? And I said, boy, don't you like my shirt? If you're listening to me, you'd say, something is wrong. <laughs> Either this guy didn't listen to what was being asked, 
or he deliberately chose not to respond to it. So you see, we don't relate like that to anybody else, but we relate to God like that. You read the Bible, and then you pray through your shopping list. Instead of saying, this is what God is speaking to me, I will take my cues from the way God speaks to me. Now, here's the interesting thing. That question, what did you think of Fair Havens, can be answered in many different ways. I might say, oh, it's great. Or I might say, you know, it really made me think of something else. Or before I tell you that, I'd like to know why you're asking me that question. They are very different responses, but they're all legitimate responses. So I can read the same passage of scripture at different times and have a very different kind of response. That's what makes it a living word that's never boring. So what are some, how, are, how are some ways in which you can, how do you recognize speech that is addressed to you? Let me give you a few suggestions. Maybe there's a passage of scripture that speaks about God's nature to you or some work of God. So maybe you're reading in Joseph, the story of Joseph, and you realize that every time that Joseph went into trouble, God was actually moving him closer to the next step. And maybe you're just kind of struck by, wow, that's the God I serve. Maybe you're struck by the sovereignty of God or some attribute of God, maybe his mercy. So how do you respond to that? There's at least two ways in which you can respond. Let's say you were struck by the fact in some passage or some story about how God is sovereign over everything. You could praise him for that. It could be a time of praise. Maybe there's a song about God's sovereignty that comes to your mind. Well, sing the song. That's prayer too. That's response. Anytime you respond legitimately to God, you're in a relationship with him. Or you might decide, you know what? This is exactly what my sister needs at this time given the circumstances she's going through, she needs to really understand that God is sovereign. I think I'm going to pray that she will experience God as sovereign. So you could praise him or you could intercede for him. Both of them would be perfectly appropriate responses. You know, my wife and I follow the same Bible reading program, and at the end of each day, we compare notes. And, you know, she is so different than I am, I told you that. It's amazing. We will read the same passages of Scripture, and we will get completely different things that God spoke to us, and what we have prayed about would be like night and day. That's what makes it the living word. And then I learned from her. And the next time I read that same passage, sometimes God will bring it back to my mind. Oh, that's what Sham learned last year. So I can begin to, that's how we begin to grow with one another as well. All right, sometimes he might, you might come across a sin. Maybe you read in Proverbs about how gossip is not good. And all of a sudden there's a little twinge with that. You say, mm, that prayer request that I shared last night was nothing but gossip. So what do you do? What do you do when God speaks to you about a sin in your life? What's the right response? You don't praise him, you confess. <laughs> so then at that moment you say, okay, Lord, I'm I, sorry, I confess my sin. Yeah, I have sinned against it. It is wrong. I ask you for your forgiveness. I come and ask Jesus to come into my heart and forgive me of that sin and help me in that area in my life. And maybe as you're continuing to pray, he might say to you, uh, pick up the phone. <laughs> Talk to that person again. You do that. Or sometimes it's a promise. Maybe you're reading in Philippians and you read Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's a promise of God to supply all our needs. Now what are some ways in which you can respond to that? Again, they are so varied. Maybe you already know. Maybe recently God has done something miraculous. One year into my retirement, or just one year before my retirement, I should say, God did something absolutely unbelievably stupendous, unimaginable, I mean, I'm not making up words, unimaginably uh, superlative work of grace to provide us a place to live. Because we didn't own a home, we lived in the parsonage for 35 years. And then that's a miracle in Toronto. And so, every time I read those kinds of verses these days, all I do is praise and thank him. Or, you might be in difficulty, you might be in financial difficulties when you read that, and you say, God, 
I would love to believe that, but I'm really struggling to believe it. So I need faith. So maybe that day you don't praise him, you just or thank him, you pray for faith. Or perhaps you know somebody, you're okay, but you know somebody who is in difficulty and you need God to provide for them, so you intercede for them. So the same promise can bring forth a response of thanksgiving, it can bring forth a response of intercession, it can bring forth a response of request for faith. Are you beginning to get the idea of how this works? All right, well, give me one more example. Sometimes it's a command. He might tell you to do something. Maybe you're reading in Matthew chapter 5 and you read Jesus say, and you come to the altar and you have a gift to give to me and you remember that you have something against your brother, please go, leave your gift here, go set things right and then come back. You read that and say, oh my goodness, that means I have to get things right with so and so. So what do you do then? Again, you can respond in three or four ways. Uh, sometimes you're weak. Ooh, me, you know, I don't like to deal with angry people. People who lose their temper quickly, I try to stay away from them. I can't handle anger very well. I'm not very courageous with angry people. So sometimes I might need courage if I had to deal. Once I had to do that. So I needed courage, so I prayed for courage. So maybe sometimes you pray for courage. Or sometimes you just pray for opportunity. I have my daughter's permission to tell this story. Uh, she leads uh, worship in one of, our, one of our worship teams. And one evening, and we had three services, uh, except during the summertime, and so she had to lead worship all three services. And so this was Saturday around 3.30 or 4 o'clock, and the Lord really convicted her about something unkind she had said about somebody in the church. And she said, well, I want to get this right. And she said, Lord, I would really like to get this right before I start leading any of these. I don't want to lead worship in the church with this hanging over my head. She, and so she made a deal with God. She said, if you want me to do that, let that woman show up in church in the next little while. Do you know she lives clear across the city? Within five minutes, she walked into the sanctuary. She said, I was driving by. I don't even know why I came. And so my daughter was able to share with her. And you know, God was so good to my daughter because this woman was a very mature, godly woman. And she just blessed my daughter. She said, you know, honey, how much God loves you to answer your prayers like that. Not only did I forgive you, she was able to encourage her. And my daughter just led worship just joyfully that evening. So sometimes it's a prayer for strength. Sometimes it's a prayer for opportunity. So th those are at least four different ways in which God can speak to you. He can give you a promise. He can show you something about his nature. He can convict you of sin in your life. Or he can ask you to do something. Any one of those is the voice of God. And there are different ways in which you can respond to him. Now one of the things that has helped me a lot in recognizing God's voice sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't do any of these things. Sometimes I'm hooked by an image. Do you know most of our Bible is addressed to our imagination? There, uh, if you look at the actual teaching portion of the New Testament, it's about 150 pages or so out of 1,100 page Bible. Most of it is history, prophecy, revelation, apocalyptic stories, which all address the imagination. Why has God let so much of his word to address the imagination because he knows that by we are wired to be people who are hooked by stories who are hooked by images and the, especially the poetry sections of the of the of the bible have so many images in them and you know images have the power of their own to just expand your thinking like one time i was reading in second uh, samuel chapter 23 um, about leadership this was about david and he says this is what god spoke to me uh, uh, David is saying this, he said, when one rules over men in righteousness and in the fear of God, he's like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. He's like the brightness after the rain. I was just gripped by those two, because I'm a leader. I was leading in a church at that time, and I still have leadership responsibilities, although not in a church. 
So when I read about that, when one rules over men in righteousness and in the fear of God, he or she is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. And that image grabbed me. What is the light of morning like at sunrise on a cloudless morning? I know what it does to me. As soon as I know it's a sunny day, I'm out of bed in a moment. See, I grew up in a country where there was lots of sunshine. Unfortunately, I'm living my life in a country where there's very little sunshine. <laughs> so when it's there, I don't want to waste a moment. I'm an early riser anyway, but if I see sunshine outside, I'm, I'm talking about summer, not in Toronto winters, I'm out of there in a flash. So the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning awakens me from my slumber. And all through the time I'm shaving, having my breakfast, I can hardly wait to get out because I love to walk and pray outside. So I'm full of anticipation. And then as soon as I come out into the sun, it's like I'm back in India again, you know. That warmth of that sun, the vitamin D just starts flowing inside of me. Those were three things that the sunlight does to me. And what God said to me in that, in that metaphor was, if you rule over your people in righteousness and the fear of God, I will make you like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. I will make you fill your people with, uh, with, I will awaken them from their slumber, I will fill them with anticipation, and I will energize their bodies through you. Well, that got me fired up to live that kind of a way. That's the power of an image. And then the other image was, was like brightness after the rain. Uh, I happened to be walking that morning a little bit after the rain had come. And you, know, you see how, you remember how the atmosphere is heavy before a rainfall and then afterwards everything feels nice and fresh? The picture that came to my mind was depression and heaviness in my people's lives. That Jesus says, if you rule over men in righteousness and the fear of God, I will make you not only like the light of morning at sunrise, I will make you like the brightness after the rain. You will be able to lift people's depression. You will fill them with hope and with joy. So those were two images from that one verse. And you know the Bible is chock-a-block full of images. And then finally, and with that I'm finished, this stuff that you get from God will then become seed that you sow in people's lives. The bread that you feed on will then become seed. Remember we learned in the first message that we are called to reflect the divine image by shaping and filling? This is how you will do it. As you have these life-changing interactions with God, as you immerse yourself in the language of Scripture, as God speaks to you and you speak back to Him, your stories are getting connected to the master story over the rest of your lives. And the things that you will hear from him and receive from him will then become seed that you will sow into the lives of your spouses, of your children, of your church members, of your neighbors, everywhere where God takes you. That's what I want you to say yes to. Will you? Will you say yes to that habit of immersing yourself in God's word? Thank you so much for the privilege. I just so appreciate your faithfulness and coming out every evening. It's been such an easy place in which to minister. You cut me slack every day when I went overtime. Nobody troubled me with that. Phil was so gracious to me as well. I just appreciate that very much. And now you can forget all about me and enjoy the people that you really came to listen to today. Because I see people in the front row who were never in the front row before. Good for you. Enjoy yourself. <laughs>